and welcome to episode 55 of the VSuit Podcast, the virtualization and technology show that refreshes parts of the intellect other shows just can't reach. We've teamed up with one of our most popular guests on the show again to chew the fat on all things converged or otherwise. Needing no further intro, it's Bob Plankers. Hi, Bob. Hey, thanks for having me. How's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you guys? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's, uh, I'm still trying to get over the, the many, many announcements today. It seems that the, the tech industry can't even evacuate its bowels without a live broadcast at the moment. <laughs> Isn't that what Periscope is for? <laughs> I'm not too sure I want a, per- a Periscope on that kind, kind of live stream. <laughs> Although I, was, um, I did see in the news that... Uh, the, the boxing people were getting very upset that everyone was using Periscope uh, to, to stream the uh, the overpriced uh, boxing match that lasted about 10 seconds. Um, and, and, yeah, but the they were complaining about it from a, a rights management point of view, but uh, had previously been advertising it. Uh, a little bit of an own goal there. How, how much of a problem is live broadcasting something that's a live event anyway? I, I guess as I said they, they they wish to relieve people of you know sixty euros for the privilege of watching it um, on a live stream rather than people doing it for free I guess but uh, or going to a pub and paying an admission fee that yeah. too yeah yeah so yeah aside from the for the boxing um, there's all sorts of crazy numbers of announcements um, I suppose the the one that was a bit of a, an anticlimax in that. Uh, there were loads of blogs and things up about it before the countdown timer had hit zero um, of uh, Atlantis throwing their hat into the uh, the hyper-converged infrastructure ring to, to keep with the boxing theme. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know really whether I was sort of overwhelmed or underwhelmed. It, it seems to be doing something fairly similar, but a bit cheaper. Yeah, I don't... I... I, I don't I don't know where they're going with this to be honest, but it, I guess everyone just wants to call something for hyperconverged these days anyway. So, so well, if, you know, I, if you release something now, it, it has to be hyperconverged and converged in some kind of way, shape, or form. I I don't know. You know, it's kind of like software defined. You know, like yeah. what do they actually mean? You know, in you know Atlantis, it's actually a cool product. I've uh, taken a look at it. The uh, um, them bundling it in, you know, people can just build it. I don't know what's the market for, and it's perhaps I just don't know what the market is for pre-configured solutions like that. You know, are people afraid of building something out themselves? Are they incapable of doing it and just want one vendor to turn to? You know, is that a um, is that going to make money for them? But, you know, I look at the SimpliVity, I look at the Nutanix, I look at the uh, VMware with vSAN and Evil Rail and uh, and all that coming out and wonder, you know, how much traction a another solution is really going to have. Yeah, it certainly it brings some choice to the market. But, um, I mean... I guess with you know Evo Rail, it will be relatively difficult to roll your own because you know uh, in that you're getting some proprietary um, you know the sort of the building and the, the front end that they've layered over the top of it. Ah, well, all, all you really get is an automated installation procedure. 
Okay, okay, so it's got a pretty installer. Yeah. Um, Basically, yeah, that's it. You'll see that once, you know, if yeah, you're lucky, maybe twice if you're unlucky. Yeah. That's not where the operational savings is. No. no it's well, not I'm the assuming that there's, that there's nothing much more than a pretty installer on the, the Atlantis one, uh, in that it's essentially, it's for Zen server or, or Hyper-V, uh, sorry, uh, ESX hosts with USX on top of it. Yeah, so it goes ahead and uses the API to deploy a VM that uh, does their thing. You know, uh, I've got a right mouse button. I could probably do that myself, you know. So. Yes, I was going to say, we, we all have fingers and, and devices and can actually click on yeah, things. Yeah, in five it's, minutes. It's not like you it's, know. you know, you've got to write massive multi-paragraph scripts to get these things installed. Yeah, this uh, is not where, this is not where the innovation should be lying, you know. Yeah, I, I, I guess it's something, you know, almost like when we first saw the first version of converged things of, you know, the the V-blocks and flex pods, you know, this we probably had a very similar conversation uh, a few years ago when the uh, uh, the show was almost in its infancy. That um, I suppose there are going to be some people that just want to go out and buy it and let someone else take the mental strain of it. Um which I don't know where the value of that. So if you're working in IT and that's that's your job is managing the infrastructure and you go and do that, you go and buy something that's sort of turnkey, it's very nice and it works very quickly, but do you really understand what you've then deployed? So if it does go wrong, are you going to be spending your life leaning on support and being a general pain in the backside to the vendor because you don't really know what you've got? No, that's exactly, you know, I'm doing some private cloud work uh, with the organizations that I work with on a daily basis, and that's exactly the conversation that we've been having. Who's going to support this long term? You know, is it going to be the internal IT staff, or is it going to be the vendor? Yes, we could have a vendor in to, to build it. The vendor is going to cost, to have a vendor come in and build a private cloud solution will cost the same amount as paying an entire team of staff for two years, you know, for 12 weeks worth of work, you know, and then they're going to disappear. And then what happens when we need it modified? What happens when uh, something goes wrong? What happens, you know, what happens in all of that stuff? Do we have to, you know, work out a professional services contract for for every little thing that that needs to happen or, you know, where, how is that exactly, how exactly is that going to work? And I think that's a big conversation that a lot of a lot of companies are having, a lot of organizations are having around uh, you know these these sorts of things. And yeah, like we've been talking about, it's it's all about the operational stuff. It's opex. It's, the capex is no big deal. You know, the, the, in, an install is capex. You know, installing a product, it happens once. You let it run for five years. You just keep it patched. That sort of thing. But. Uh, um, you know, it's the day-to-day stuff. It's the needing a new VM template, needing a new workflow or blueprint in vRealize Automation. It's, you know, needing a new, yeah, and, yeah, needing more capacity, whatever. You know, that's the that's the stuff that um, you need to decide who's going to do that and uh, if it's going to be internal or if it's going to be a vendor. Yeah, well, the thing with, with the hyperconverged stuff is that you get everything pre-configured in a way, so you don't have to have people that know how to design this stuff. Or how yeah, to, true. Or, or basically how to read an HDL, uh, which is what it boils down to, to be honest. Um, and there's some benefit in that, sure. Yeah, you know. sure. But but then again, you don't have to go 
full-on hyperconverged either. You can do like VMware does with the vSAN ready nodes. It's the building blocks are there. You can just buy them instead of buying an Evo Rail that is four nodes in a two U rack unit. You can yeah, you can put it yourself as well, and you don't have to pay for that fancy installer thing. Mm. Yeah, true. You know, in the hyperconverged stuff, the selling point there is the uh, uh, the opex. You know, the the upkeep, the maintenance. You know, Nutanix goes out of their way to make it really easy to keep the infrastructure up to date, and I think they do a pretty good job. Simplicity does as well. You know, make make it easy to do the day to day things, and uh, but. What we're trading off, we're trading off under this under the hood complexity. There's a lot of complications underneath there that, uh, um, by and large, they work fine. You know, they're self managing, they're well tested in that, but it is still a really complicated environment. And you know, I just sort of long for the days where it was just server fabric storage. You know, like it's just you know uh, a couple of rack mount boxes with an array underneath and uh, a network switch or two, you know, that was really simple as well. Mm. I suppose part, part of the argument with these is that you don't necessarily need to have a separate storage fabric. Um, so that again, they're trying to reduce uh, the OPEX there. Yeah, you know, but uh, um, one of my complaints to, I think it was SimpliVity at the time, was the that companies that are looking to just buy an entire solution, you can't buy an entire solution from Nutanix or SimpliVity or anybody or even scale computing. Uh, you can't buy a network switch from them. So, you know, if you're, yes, the idea is that you, you can only, you'd only have to have one fabric and it just sort of takes care of itself and they tell you, tell you how to configure the fabric and that. But, you know, I kind of wish these hyperconverged vendors would just go the extra step and supply networking gear for the companies that uh, that want to want to have these sorts of things. I mean, you could call Dell and buy like an active system or whatever, or a, a V block. You know, they all have integrated networking, all that sort of stuff. It would be co- kind of cool if the hyperconverged guys would follow suit. Yeah, well, do, you, do you think that, that could give Cisco an advantage because they're about you know they're one of the few vendors that could actually sell the the network and the uh, the compute, not necessarily in the same 2U box, but with the ability to to have more, you know, more of it from the same, at least in the same shipping container. Yeah, you know, uh, UCS actually is pretty cool in that regard. It's got converged, truly converged, well, not truly converged, they're, they're running fiber channel over Ethernet, which mm-hmm. I think of as kind of a hack, but the, uh, uh, and the UCS also has a lot of boot from SAN, which I also... You know, I'm not a big fan of that. I think uh, SD cards and stand, you know, being able to boot an individual server off of local resources that are local to that server is uh, incredibly liberating in terms of, um, you know, requirements and dependencies and complexity in that. But, you know, it seems to work. UCS customers seem to really like UCS. And, yeah, it does have that converged fabric. You know, uh, it's got IP and fiber channel running over the same switches. It's In many cases, it's delivered with the switches itself as part of the, the same setup. You know, so... But in the end, you still need the fiber channel switches. Um, yeah, get, I, I guess I haven't really worked with UCS. Yeah, you, uh, you get the top of the rack switch, but then you need the fiber channel switches to actually do the fiber channel part. You can't actually put fiber channel. You couldn't take a fiber channel array and attach it directly to those switches. I don't believe so. Mm, that's a serious downfall. <laughs> I don't know. I remember, if you can or not, I'm sure I fiber connected a um, 
uh, a NetApp to a UCS? Directly to the... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, that's that's always one of my questions to, to vendors is can I direct attach just uh, a couple of hosts to, to your array and also could I, uh, you know, attach this directly to the switches that I've got? You know, I don't want to go out and buy something new, you know, especially when I've got really expensive redundant switches sitting right there. Because here's also the other part. You, I mean, how many ports do you have on that switch? How many front-end ports do you normally use in a really busy array? Oh yeah, well. I mean, you're gonna put like if if you could do a point to point there with two plugs, you know, that's not unless you have a small infrastructure. That's not. uh, Yeah, it's probably not going to be enough capacity. there, you know, true, true. But I I suppose those sorts of things that also you know mentions about what you inherit. Um, You know, if you've already got a mature fiber infrastructure then whether if, if you're trying to deploy something and it, it, it uses or doesn't use it you're either going to want to get value out of the investment or certainly not going to want to swap it out for a, you know, an IP fabric for example but at what point do you walk away from something like that you know like at uh, uh, you know there's this concept of sunk cost you've you've spent the money on it you need to be able to walk away from it you know but at what point people seem to be hesitant to do that and i understand why it's cuz well hey we spent a ton of money on this thing on our storage infrastructure and that but at what point do you just say you know there's better stuff elsewhere and you you convert completely over to an NFS based array like a tin tree or a coho data or something like that or you just walk away from your old fiber channel you know your old monolithic fiber channel infrastructure i suppose it's all about the the cost to change yeah yeah the cost to change and really if there's a reason i mean if you have a big fiber channel infrastructure, chances are you have the knowledge for fiber channel in-house. I yeah, look at, true. I look at it as like a risk, you know, going on, and then and then you 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 bring separate teams into it. Normally, when fiber channel is involved, it's just the storage guys. The yeah. network guy doesn't like secondary do do fiber channel, you know. No, uh, but you know that sort of siloed. Thing you know that, that's also hard to deal with uh, in many infrastructure many infrastructures. Well, true, many infrastructures, but many organizations have a, a real hard time with the silos, the uh, um, people making decisions in a vacuum, and things like that. I suppose if if your different teams can can cooperate and and uh, work together on things, you know that that'd be one thing. But you know that's probably more the exception than the rule with siloed organizations. Yeah, so I guess the applicability would depend on partly on your organization as well. Yeah, how dynamic well, it could be. Yeah, I often say that you can't solve people problems with technology, and you know that's definitely a people problem. So ah, that's what DevOps are for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah, self-service. Yeah. <laughs> We just yeah. turn. We we we've talked about this before. We just turn everyone into developers, and everything will be fine. We can just buy converged stacks from someone. Don't care what's in it. We'll as long as we have an API, we'll be fine. Or yeah, not even you all know. you need is a credit card and go directly to the public cloud. If we're all developers, right? Yeah, yeah. We don't credit need a copy of Docker. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 
So that's that's all my future is going to be. You know, everything's going to be a microservice, and instead of you know a thousand VMs, I'm going to have you know ten thousand microservices, and no one will have any idea what any of them do. Or you know, I I haven't seen any anything referencing container sprawl yet, but I think it's just a matter of time. And then at some point, you have a performance problem. Then what? What you need capacity under this thing? Like that, that's that's a revolutionary thought, you know. That there needs to be hardware underneath all this somewhere. You know? No, it's it's software defined power. But I mean, yeah. do, do you think there's any sort of implications for uh, for VMware under this? In that you know, at the moment, most of these stacks seem to be capable, you know, at least capable of running uh, vSphere. Um, but you know, if they move. They, um, the the Atlantis one already supports Zenso. Now I don't know if that's just the paid the paid for Citrix version or whether it supports the open source version. But what about things going to KVM and, and stuff like that? To me, KVM is just not quite there yet. I mean, it it's great. KVM as a hypervisor is just fine. You know, it's where ESXi was. You know, well, where ESX was back in version three five or so. You know, it's it's fine. You know, it's it's not. People say that the hypervisor is a commodity, and I don't really agree with that. But I also don't think that it's. I don't think it's the main sticking point now. It's really the management tools people are after. We don't buy a hypervisor uh, just to have a hypervisor anymore. Well, maybe the the four of us do, but the uh, but most organizations don't. They uh, they buy it because of the management tools. And you look at some of these things, the Nutanixes, the Simplivities, the, the Atlantis offerings, the, the scale computings and that. And really what strikes me is that they're, they're aiming for where, virtualiza- where virtualization management has been for the last you know, five years or so. They're not looking at, at the cloud. They're not looking at private cloud sorts of things. And that's where a lot of organizations, we joke, joke about DevOps, we joke about all that stuff, but organizations truly want to do that sort of thing. They truly want self-service. They truly want automation. And I don't see any of this hyper-converged stuff as addressing any of it. There's really no, if you want a private cloud, what are your options on-premises? Your options are the vRealize stuff from VMware and or maybe an OpenStack release, something like Piston Cloud or... Um, Piston Cloud or Mirantis or something, but you know, OpenStack is a bit of a science project still. You know, these vendors are doing a, a way better job of making it into a product than it, than a project. But uh, um, you know, VMware still has has the best, in my opinion. They still have the most compelling end to end story there, and I think that's why you know people say VMware hasn't innovated or anything like that in in a long time, and that might be true. You know, they just buy companies. But, uh, um, you know, I don't think they're in any danger, immediate danger of going away or becoming irrelevant. So just because I don't think the rest of the market is aiming for the right spot, you know. Yeah, there's another thing there as well. I'm pretty sure that VMware is really, really aware of what's going on. Uh, And I don't think VMware is, in in five or ten years' time, they're not going to be... The company that provides Windows VMs for small businesses, you know, uh, it's, it's going to be what they're, what they're they just released that photon photon thing uh, as well, which is a, basically a Docker container in a Linux variety, mm-hmm. uh, and they're moving that in that direction as well. If they, 
at some point decide that, okay, fine, we're going to start by giving away ESXi and not charge anyone for that and start charging for the management and capabilities around the hypervisor instead, why would someone put Sen server in there somewhere or Hyper-V for that matter if you have the management tools ready for managing ESXi? Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, yes, and they almost do that now anyway. I mean, the fact that it's quite difficult to buy just a plain vSphere license anymore, that it has to pretty much come with, um, you know, what, one yeah, of the various management suites. So, you know, it, it's almost sort of inevitable that that's really what they're trying to do um, as it is. Yeah. yeah, it'll be a day where we just download ESXi and that's what we use to to run whatever uh, flavor of a containerization utility you want to use that day. Yeah, I'd really like to see them. Uh, you know, Photon Linux is a hack. You know, it's a it's a way for them to say that they have container support, but they don't really have container support at the low level. What if I really like it if we could just get rid of the the inner? You know, we talked years ago about just enough OS, the J, the Juice thing, or whatever. However, we we're pronouncing that, and that got a bunch of a bunch of airtime back in the day, but we didn't. Uh, um, it never really went anywhere. You know, containers are really what that is. There's just enough OS to do, to have all the right APIs to do file operations and, and all that sort of stuff, but it's easier to maintain. But, you know, Photon Linux, we've still got a Linux distribution in there. I, I still need to patch it. I still need to maintain it. You know, what if the container just became, you know, a first-class citizen next to a normal full VM inside one of the hypervisors? You know, that's really what I want to see. And yeah. perhaps that's the direction that they're intending to go here, where... You know, I can just I can just run a, a Photon Linux or a, a Docker ca container that's been built around Photon Linux, and I don't I don't have to maintain that. You know, it's just patched when I patch the hypervisor. Uh, all of the all of those APIs, all of that stuff, just uh, becomes irrelevant. You know, it gets patched with everything else, and then I can just import VMs. I can live migrate or import containers. I'm sorry, uh, import the containers, live migrate the containers. You know, because people also think of containers, well, you know, they're these little microservices, but a lot of people just don't need big clusters of microservices. They just need, they need one mail server. They need uh, one web server. Maybe yeah. they'd be tolerant of doing two of them, sure, you know, but, you know, I still see a, a role for live migration. A lot, of, a lot of the stuff that's been built into VMware and where VMware really innovated back in the day, you know, the vMotion, the live migration, a lot of those things that really, really helped us uh, avoid risk and avoid downtime and things like that. So, yeah, you know, and I'd, you'll end up reducing in a way where reducing is probably the wrong word, but you'll, you'll end up uh, using the hypervisor basically as a redundancy layer and or uh, a, a hardware management layer that guarantees the resources you need for the microservices you run. Yeah. And that's it. So you basically yeah. need vMotion, DRS, and this and the uh, the scheduler basically, and that's it. 
Yeah, all that stuff, like CoreOS, for example, interesting thing, they've got a lot of different services, they've got like etcd, they've got all of these, you know, uh, fleet, all of this other stuff, you know, I don't want to have to worry about that, you know, why am I worrying, in this day and age, why am I worrying about all that stuff, when, uh, um, you know, and I, like I said, that's where I could see VMware doing, actually doing a bunch of work to simplify the management of it, you know, let me import a, uh, a Docker container. Just let me let me tell the hypervisor, let me tell the VMware software, the infrastructure layer, what I need out of it, and just have the tool set it up for me. You know, I don't want to I don't want to mess around with it. You know, because anytime I mess around with it, anytime a developer messes around with it, anybody, it's an opportunity to get it wrong, and it's an opportunity to uh, uh, to have outages and data loss and things like that. You know, that's. All this technology is neat, but you know that's making it simple is really the the big the big challenge here. Yeah, but I mean, some, just to pick up on something you said earlier, um, that if you you move the burden of patching, as it were, um, by running containers um, to the hypervisor, do you think that means you've actually you're probably going to end up patching the hypervisor more often? I mean, nowadays people are not necessarily particularly good always about patching their hosts. Oh, people uh, are horrible about patching, you know. Yeah. But uh, th but that's a huge argument for driving it into the hypervisor, you know, that yeah, you've just got one spot to patch. True. True. And if I can live migrate the the container away from the host that I'm patching, uh you guys might not know it, well, you probably I hope you guys don't know it. You uh, if you do know it, we, we should talk. I'm patching a vSphere environment right now as I'm talking to you guys. I'm watching, uh -huh. you know, I'm watching it go through the whole you know, update manager go through the whole cluster, put one in maintenance mode, move all the the workloads around. You know, if if all the if all the workloads could move elsewhere, I can patch the hypervisor, patch all the APIs underneath, remove OpenSSL vulnerabilities or whatever we found, bugs, all that stuff. You know, the live migration, you know, and then it can just go back and take advantage of it. The API didn't change. The functionality of the API just has fewer holes in it. That's all, you know. And so, you know, when it's, it'll eventually move back to, to those hosts or, you know, balance itself out again. And, you know, I, I will have just... I wouldn't have had to patch all of the VMs as well as the infrastructure. Exactly. I just patched once. Yeah, so you, you need that layer of <laughs> layer of abstraction of the uh, the uh, the the kind of core stuff that you need to run the containers. If you can yeah, abstract, you if you can abstract that part away from it, we're yeah. good to go, basically. Yeah, exactly. You know, like we need the APIs that that an operating system provides to us, but we don't need the operating system. Or you know, and we can move those APIs somewhere else. If we can move those APIs somewhere else, hey, we're golden. Mm. That's pretty interesting way of, of looking at it. And you, I, I, I guess I can see why Microsoft are looking to include Docker in in the Hyper-V and stuff as well, <laughs> because if we're if we're moving that way. Uh, a lot of the foundation for the Windows stuff is going to be gone at, at some point. Oh, yeah. You know, the underlying OSs are, um, I won't say that they've got a clock on them, but, you know, they're operating systems themselves uh, on, at the server level are much less interesting than a lot of these management technologies. Yeah. It might, it might just be as, as interesting as virtualization was a few years ago. 
Yeah, maybe. You know, virtualization for most organizations just printed money in terms of, uh, uh, you know, power savings and space savings and cooling and all that stuff. You know, uh, none of this other stuff has, to me, none of this other stuff has quite the draw, the the universal, un- yeah, uh, you can't. You couldn't argue with any of the savings that virtualization brought along. You can argue with uh, many of these other things. The uh, uh, the savings. A lot of it as well. It depends. You know, and depends on how you how your organization set, is set up, and you know how cranky your developers are, and you know that sort of thing. So yeah, but, you know, but, I, I, I go ahead. Yeah, in, in the end, now we 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 when we were talking virtualization ten years ago, we were talking to the infrastructure people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we're talking containers, we're talking to we're talking about the, either the developers or the application owners. And the applications application owners didn't want to virtualize stuff ten years ago, and now we just don't tell them that we do it. Yeah, so, or it's just con- a universal con- constant now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so but the, the conversation will be pretty different, even though the technologies, underlying technologies, might be just the same. But the conversation is going to be completely different because we're talking to different people. Well, you know, the biz- that's pretty much what's happened here is the business is now, the business is driving IT rather than the other way around, you know. And the business is driving IT through the app, you know, the business says to the app people, hey, we want a web-based app that does X or we need, we need this functionality, a particular type of functionality, and we need it soon. And the app people turn around and, and say to IT, hey, we need this, we need it now. And as it turns out, they have options for deploying it, you know, on-premises, off-premises, um, public cloud sorts of things. And uh, um, if IT really can't, it's the tail wagging the dog, you know. For years, IT wagged the dog, you know, and uh, um, now the dog is biting back a little bit. And, you know, it makes a lot of sense, you know. IT is not an end, an end unto itself. It's a means to getting something done. That's true. I think that's possibly why um, the sort of the containers didn't really appeal to me initially. As a, you know, I'm a fairly died in the world infrastructure guy. Um, so trying to work out, you know, how they were going to put Exchange on on containers, um, and not really seeing the relevance of. Well, I guess yeah, from the uh, the application point of view and the the more bespoke stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of that stuff's going to be really hard to make into containers. A lot of the legacy apps, you know, we're going to have VM. I, we, we still have mainframes. You know, there's still Vaxes running out there. You know, mm-hmm. like we're not going to get rid of a lot of these old apps uh, just because. It doesn't pay to re-architect them, you know. This is kind of getting back to our conversation about when when do you when do you cut bait? When do you when do you leave walk away from what you've built and do something do something new? You know, like the same we talked about it as far as storage, but it's the same is true of apps. You know, everyone's scared of the payroll systems, so the payroll systems never get any sort of development or anything like that. Turns out to be a self-fulfilling prophecy most of the time. You know, the more you ignore it, the more you should be scared of it. But uh, um, you know, it's going to be systems like that. It's going to be the exchanges of the world. It's going to be all that stuff. And uh, if it doesn't, if it doesn't go to 
the public cloud as far as a service, software as a service sort of thing, you know, uh, Exchange, I could see people moving up into like Office 365 rather than uh, um, running their own Exchange. But yep. there's still, like you said, all the bespoke uh, um, custom apps that are out there, you know, they're still going to need their VMs. They're still going to need a copy of Windows, you know, probably a copy of Windows that's obsolete. And, uh, um, you know, they will never be container friendly. No. So I guess we just keep making more work for ourselves by adding these new technologies rather than improving the ones we've got. <laughs> Biting our own tail in the end, to be honest. Yes. But. Yeah. <laughs> so don't care who wags it, we're biting it. Oh, yeah. No, you know, and yeah, I didn't have enough work to do, so I'm going to, you know, now start playing with Docker. You know, you know yay. You know. <laughs> so, not that I'm bitter, but yeah. <laughs> So it's in terms of uh, other announcements, uh, I don't know if you recently sort of uh, from the EMC side of things um, that uh, they've, they've done some pretty crazy things. That they're now releasing an open source version of Viper, which yeah. I didn't think. Well, I didn't think they'd actually released Viper yet. Um, if you could actually use it, um, yeah, it was released, I believe. Yeah. That as well as the VVNX, the virtual VNX stuff. Yeah, yeah, the VVNX is actually kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I've been a huge fan. Of, I, I wish all vendors would create a virtual version of everything they have. You yes. know, if only for a testing lab, proof of concepts, all that stuff. You know, people get really freaked out about. Well, what if somebody runs it in production? Well, then they're dumb. Don't do that. But you know, all of us that can do training on it. And quali you know, product qualifications and all that stuff, you know. Like, yeah. I don't want to buy a whole VNX just to have it sit there so that uh, we can test some test a code upgrade on it to start with, or uh, before I do all my production stuff. You know, like I, I have to, but I don't want to. You know, that's just money that I could spend elsewhere. Yeah, if I had a it's. Uh, I, I work as a consultant still, you know, and 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 getting hold of stuff like that is gold. You, I mean. Yeah. I, I can fire that thing up on my laptop and play around with the GUI and play around with it and, and learn the terminology, learn everything about how you manage something without actually having to have them ship me a demo unit or whatever. Yeah, you don't, and you so, don't want to pay for power and all the time and effort it is to get a demo unit and all that stuff. Yeah. Just so, yeah, you know, and the more you play with it, you can become familiar, especially different versions and things like that. You walk into a customer's a customer site, and you know exactly what uh, what they've got and what it looks like and how it works. You know that's priceless. Yeah, but what the hell happened to EMC? <laughs> well, what, what do you mean? <laughs> I mean seriously, uh, open sourcing stuff. I, I know Kendrick and, jo and Jonas are working on open source stuff in EMC. They're they're open sourcing uh, the uh, the Viper stuff. They're giving away the VVNX. Something's going on over there. Something's happened. Hey, don't clue them into the, you know, if, if we, it's like, it's, let's be a little super, superstitious here. You know, yeah. let's not clue them into like that, the fact that we like this because then they're probably going to think there's demand for it and start charging it. It is EMC <laughs> after all. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, so. they did, they were charging for Viper and I believe yeah. there probably still will be a pay version. But I look at it as, Right, Viper integrates best with EMC products. 
Mm-hmm. Um, also, VBNX is directly a VNX that they own, right? I yeah. mean, it pushes you in the direction of buying stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> sure. Of course it well, does. The, fir- the, did- first, the first one is always free, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Drug dealer model, yeah. yeah. But Do you guys know anybody that's actually using Viper out in the real world? No, I've never seen it myself. I've used yeah. the monitoring piece, just tested it. Okay. But uh, it's rather yeah, I complex. Yeah, well, and see, that's the thing, you know. it To me, it always seemed like a product looking for, a, or, you know, a solution looking for a problem. And uh, uh, that, you know, all, all of the problems that it might address are addressed elsewhere in ways that are more traditional or more easily understood. But, uh, um, you know, I, I believe, I think it was Chad's, Sackage's post that, uh, um, the yeah, basically it's, the the open source Viper is basically going to become Fedora to uh, uh, to Viper's Red Hat Enterprise Linux, where um, development will continue on the main branch of what are they calling it Copperhead or something like that. The actual uh, um, the open source version is yeah. going to be Copperhead, and then mm-hmm. that will proceed at, at its own pace. And then he, occasionally they will fork it off and make a new release of Viper out of it. So. Yeah. The, uh, um, you know, whether that has any bearing on anything or not, you know, per, you know, and perhaps it's just they didn't see a lot of adoption, so they're just putting it out there rather than killing the product outright. They're uh, um, they're putting it out there and seeing what happens. I I think also his blog post said that this is a a uh, uh, this is pretty much the first time that they've ever done anything like this. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, you know, this might be a test. Maybe it's. N- whether it's the right thing to test on or not, but I don't know, but it uh, um, might be a test to see what happens here. You know, a lot of companies are scared of doing this sort of thing. You know, maybe this is EMC trying to get over their fears. Or, yeah, yeah, going at it from a different angle rather than yeah, completely dumping the product or somebody else buying it off or whatever. Yeah. But it, it's interesting to see EMC do that. At the same time, VMware is doing their own Linux distro. It's something's going on, and, and, and there there is some kind of shift going on in, in mentality around somewhere. Well, what's going on is you know Red Hat has become has gone from being something that runs inside of VMware environments to being competition, you know, and so they they don't they don't play play well together anymore. Uh, now that they're after the same same girl, you know, like it's two guys that uh, that want this, the the same girlfriend or same girl as their girlfriend, you know, and uh, um, they may may have been friends, but it gets a little gets a little complicated when there's that you know that comp- competitive chunk there. So, uh, um, so the answer it, is open sourcing your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hey on that front. Hey, robots are the the wave of the future, man. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I don't. Now a good time to talk about the X rack. Yeah, the, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I never don't know go back to your X's rack. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, leave your X's rack alone. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, um. Yeah, well, and we're seeing it with, you know, the VCE consortium. You know, I'm surprised VCE has lasted this long, frankly, you know, because uh, V is doing their own networking 
stuff now, and C is doing their own storage and hardware, and E is doing their own their own compute. You know, they're all they're all doing. They all have components of the whole stack. You know, they can all build their own stacks out of components that they own. You know, and yeah. So I I've never thought VC would last as long as it has, and I'm sort of surprised that it, it's still going. But uh, um, you know, I think that's really what the change in the market is here is that um, you know everyone's getting really competitive on, on the same fronts. Yeah, I guess you can go to swingers parties for just a limited amount of time until something goes sour. Yeah, as long as you're not hyper-converged, I think we'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even want to think about what that'd mean. <laughs> yeah, you definitely need to keep fabric separate on that. Yeah. <laughs> Something's bound to go wrong. As To, to each as their own, whatever, you know, whatever turns your crank, but the, uh, uh, yeah, wow, you know. I think this conversation has taken a turn here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I guess it, everything's fine until everyone has all the bits they need. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's what's happening, too. And, yeah. you know, and for open sourcing stuff, you know, we've seen OpenStack. OpenStack is probably the premier example of, of an open source infrastructure product. And it's... Just raw OpenStack adoption is really low, you know. And why is that? It's because because it's complicated. People want vendor support and that, you know. And it's I see the same. I I'm not sure that too many people are are going to be running an open source Viper. Frankly, you know, like I think most yeah, of the people in that, yeah. not in production, not at all. You know, like the the folks that are technically capable of doing it will probably want to want to do something else. And the folks that are interested, that aren't technically capable of doing it, are going to want a product, actually, not a project. Something that they can, they can buy real support. And so they would go for the real Viper, you know? So I might want it in my lab, though. Well, yeah. No, it's interesting. It'd be, it'd be interesting to check out, but, you know, would you put a petabyte of storage behind it, you know, in production? Eh, you know, <laughs> without being call, able to call a vendor? No, you'd probably buy the Viper version, you know. Likewise with OpenStack and, you know, would you, do you, does an organization really want to run OpenStack or are we going to run the OpenStack that Piston Cloud or Mirantis sells, you know? Yeah, but then again, we're back to kind of where we started with this hyperconverged thing. Uh, you're not actually paying for the product as such. Yeah, well, you're, you're paying for the product, but you're not paying for the software as such. You're paying for the support and the availability of you being able to use it, True. not the yeah. code itself. So the code itself isn't that worth that much, even though it's, uh, it's IP and whatever, but it, that's not what we're buying. Yeah, Free no. We'll charge you for the spoon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, you know. And uh, yeah, you you want you want the management. Uh, basically, when I spend money, I want to spend it on things that help me save money as far as opex or do things that I haven't haven't been able to do because I've been spending so much staff time just keeping the lights on, you know. Yeah. We 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 don't buy Microsoft Windows because we want Windows. We buy it because of the applications that run on it. That's exactly. And right. it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It it gives us a foundation to run something on that we need. Yep. 
And we don't care if Windows is coded in whatever language it's coded in. That, nope. We don't Doesn't care matter. about the source code. We don't care about that. I just need it to work. Yeah, I need. Yeah, I need my application when it wants to open a file. I need it to. I need the operating system to provide an API to open that file. You know, that's about it. Yeah. So, so now you're uh, dead on. Yeah. So let's uh, let's wrap up vsoup fifty five. Thanks a lot, Bob, for being on again. Hey, thanks for having me. I think this is only your second time in like what is it? What is it? Three years? Four years now? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I still have the cheese head from the fir- the first time. Oh, <laughs> oh we never did uh, get that raffle, or nobody actually. No, it turns out <laughs> no, no, one really no one actually wants a cheese head. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the fact that you go through the trouble to ship that thing is also a bit insane. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't weigh very much. It it's a hat, after all. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't pay for the hat. We pay for the convenience of using it. Yeah, the convenience of using the hat. Yeah, cheese yeah. head as a service. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's got to be something we can open source in there. Yeah, live migrate that uh, the cheese head to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. So um, as usual, you can catch us on Stitcher, iTunes, or vsoup.net. Thanks a lot. <laughs>